Welcome, everybody, to the Eyes on Big Podcast, your go-to Big Ten football podcast. I'm your co-host, Jeffrey the Greek, joined, as always, by... This is Big Kurt here. Big Kurt, you on Twitter? I am on Twitter. I'm Big Kurt on Twitter at B1GKURT. And I am Jeffrey the Greek at Jeffrey the Greek. Thank you so much for listening and downloading the podcast. Uh, still into our team previews. Um, believe it or not, I think if my count's correct, we'll be at eight out of 14 by the time we finish up tonight already. Let's see, we did two one. three teamers and two and a two teamer, right? Three plus three plus two. The, okay, that's right. Yes, yeah. correct. Yes. My math's bad, but I think I, I, I pulled that one together. So. That's right. This will be eight teams. <laughs> uh, so tonight's is going to be Minnesota, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Uh, speaking of Minnesota, it wound up being a Minnesota golden gopher week because we had Ryan Burns on from 24 7 fame. Uh, we are recording this on Wednesday night, the 4th. By the time this gets out, that podcast will have already been released, correct? Yes. And we recorded Ryan on Tuesday night. Correct. Uh, so that's the power of uh, podcasting and releasing. So thanks again to Ryan Burns for finding a bunch of time to sit down and talk with us. We even got to chit chat with him a little bit after the podcast was recorded. Great time. Yeah. To be honest with you, that was my favorite part was just BSing with him afterwards, you know, yeah, off the cuff. That was fun. I just, had a great time with them. Just dudes talking football. And yeah. believe it or not, I had a good time with them, too. I know there was times that it, was, it it got contentious because, hey, we were being ourselves, I think. And that's how it goes. Each of you got a little tense, but you both kept it respectful and you kept it actually not argumentative. Just, you know, just giving your points back and forth. But you got a little excited, both of you. I appreciate that feedback. Yeah. OK, I, I think what you just described right there is what I was going for. Uh, so yeah, thanks again, Ryan. Um, I'm having a bourbon. You're having a Michelob Golden Draft Light. There, I'm having a Michelob Golden Draft Light, or as my uncle likes to call it, Michelob. Michelob. Um, I forever have called it Michelob because of my uncle Lynn. <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of family members, uh, that Michelob Golden Draft Light <laughs> is in my fridge because uh, uh, I'm not going to say it's the only beer Grandpa Greek my father drinks, but. I haven't seen him drink any other beer in the last 20 years. <laughs> so it's memory. the only beer he Pretty drinks. much. Um, so when we had kind of talked about this before, but the, okay, first of all, the bottle version right now, it's got the ribs on it. Yeah. Do you remember the ribbed Michelob Golden Draft Light cans? Yeah, I do remember those. Yeah. I don't know. There was something about those rib cans, man, that made it cool. So I like that beer. Um, but we had talked about the original... Michelob. Yes. Great beer. Like beer, you know, aficionados probably know, they probably know the shape of bottles. Like they they call that's a blah, blah, blah bottle. But whatever that shape of that Michelob. It was beautiful. It added to the, it added to the enjoyment. It looked like a lava lamp a little bit, right? Yes. It has the same shape, but a little more stout than a lava lamp. Lava lamp is a perfect. uh, And of course it has the gold foil on the top. Dude, the gold foil was part of the presentation, along with the lava lamp shape. It was like, and and so it was out when I was in high school. It was way, you know, I mean, way too out of my league then. Uh, sometimes I, I spent the money in college, and it was usually around the holidays that it happened. I, I have a connection between drinking the original Michelob and the holidays, and peeling off the top. It was like. 12 or 24 little individual wrap presents. Yes, it, it really was. So there's a ritual to it, right? Yeah. And like that beer was like smoky. It, it's and I am a 
or I should say I was. I have I don't really drink much beer anymore, but I used to drink a ton of beer and I was a beer snob, but I still always enjoyed an occasional Michelob. And now you can't find it. No, uh, they don't make it. I mean, it's gone. There is, I don't know if it's still out there. I, I'm lazy. I should have looked it up, but 90% sure there is a uh, website that somebody made because they have the same feelings that me and you have. And I'm assuming a couple of people listen to this podcast and they want to bring Michelob back. Michelob original, as long as they do it right, you know, it needs to be the old recipe to a T. If they could do that, that might single-handedly get me back to being a beer drinker, if only for that beer. I mean, I would go out and buy it the day it was released. Absolutely. I would, I would. buy a 12-pack. I don't know why they don't do it, like, even just a short run, like, once a year. Or don't once you... every two years or something. Just a, just a I don't know. There's got to be a market there. I mean, it'd be like the McRib. <laughs> Same. <laughs> that is a great comparison. I like. I think Michelob's a little bit higher end, you know, or, or more I'll, enjoyable. I'll take the Michelob. But that's I'm gonna great, pass yeah, on McRib. But that's a great comparison. Um, but oh man, that would be fantastic. And then, so you were starting to tell a story to me last week, yeah. And then we got cut off. But okay, your your knowledge of Michelob, or maybe it's just no, me. not so not okay. not Michelob. I just it transitioned into a story. I used to live in St. Louis, and I used to cover Anheuser Busch, the brewery, and. I was always, for, a, for a job that you did that. for a job yeah, that yeah. I did. And I was always going into labs, laboratories. So I, they had an analytical chemistry lab. So I call them that they didn't buy much from me. They had one instrument from me. So I just would always look for an excuse to get in there. Right. Cause for it was sure. fun. Cause people would tell you all kinds of crazy stories. Like I don't remember the year they stopped it, but you used to just be able to drink at work. And like there was taps everywhere. You could drink <sighs> from the second you got there until the second you left all that. And I think when I worked there or when I would call them, you still got two cases a month, I think for free. They just gave to you. They just gave you two cases. I mean, that's a perk there, but I was calling on this guy that used my product and he's like, Oh, Hey, I was about to leave because I'm going to show you something really cool. And he brings me to this other room and there was these little stout old bottles of Budweiser. Budweiser used to not be long neck, I guess. It was just these little short bottles, right? Still 12 ounce. But he shows that they've got these laboratory labels on them with dates and stuff. He shows me the date, and it was from like 1983 or 1984 or something like that. And this is 2009 or okay. something like that. Okay. And I'm like, whoa, those must be some pretty skunky beers. And he's like, no, actually, these were in the cryo freezer <laughs> since 1983 or for whatever the cryo date. Cryo frozen. They were cryo beers. frozen. <laughs> And he's like, do you want some? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't, do I want some? He's, <laughs> right. he's like, he's like, well, okay, here's the thing. Not all of them survive. Not all of the seals of the, of the cap survive the freezing process. He he's gave me a number, like a third of them don't survive or something, you know, on average. So he's like, here, I'm going to send you home with six of these 1984 vintage Budweiser bottles and he goes put them in your fridge and it, you know as long as they make the sound when you open them it's good to he go. says it's going to taste exactly like a Budweiser that is hilarious so, so I go home with a six pack and I put it in my fridge and I just so happened to see a buddy that day whose dad had just retired from Budweiser and worked there for I don't know how many years so this isn't something that even he would have gotten to do so I I give him two bottles that day I get home that night and I crack one open, and honest to God, it tasted like a freaking Budweiser. It that is fantastic. It tasted delicious. 
And so I, I will drink a Budweiser. I kind of, I think Budweiser's okay. I, I think Bud Heavy's good stuff. And so it was a nice cold one, and I, it was fantastic. Wow. That is, and they cryogenically froze it yeah. to make sure they were staying right on top so of the original the thing. recipe. Yes, they would compare the old Budweiser to the current version. They wanted to make sure that, that yeah, nothing was, there were no off flavors, nothing was changing the flavor profile. Okay. Because I, I don't know about you, but I've had this thought before where I swear to God, two liquids don't taste as good now as they did when I was younger, which is Gatorade. Like the original Gatorade out of the glass okay. bottles, well, I yeah. swear to God, was just right. phenomenal. And the other thing is just mostly any beer, but like I swear Bud Light is sweeter now than it was when it, I was in my early 20s. It could be. They might be, you know, pumping the brakes on the hops. They might be pulling back on the hops because that's the really expensive part. Okay. So, I don't know. So it the, just the, the hops offsets the malt. The malt's the sweet part. The hops is the bitter part. So it may just not be putting as hmm. many hops in there. Hmm. Long story short, man, I'd kill for a, just a good old-fashioned Michelob. I would kill for Michelob, but I'd also kill for a 25-year-old cryo-frozen Budweiser <laughs> right now. I feel like maybe we have a better chance of the original Michelob coming around than a cryo. Probably true. Uh, altered beer, but anyways, that's good stuff, man. Um, I don't think we have any housekeeping items. No, let's just get into the into the teams. Okay. I don't, I, there's a few things we could talk about, but it's all rumors, and we don't really know a lot of that stuff. So yeah, and we we, we do kind of need to get around to talking about Trev Alberts, but we just got such a loaded pod here. I just yeah. don't think we really we'll get have it. Time. In at some yeah, point. we'll get it. We in. got we got time. Um, so yeah, as mentioned before, we've got. Minnesota, Michigan, and Wisconsin. So all kind of tied together. A lot of uh, these teams are playing each other. I mean, obviously, Minnesota and Wisconsin are. It's the longest standing uh, rivalry in college football. Let's let's start there. So the Minnesota Golden Gophers last five years, 35 and 23. They, of course, had the, the big year, 11 and two year, two years ago. Last year slipped a little bit, obviously, but... Definitely uh, saved themselves from going too deep down into the doldrums last year and wound up having a pretty good year. P.J. Fleck going into his fifth year in Dinkytown. Does it seem like it's been five years? Yeah, okay. definitely. <laughs> definitely seems like it's been five. It definitely feels like it. I mean, I went to the Illinois game his first year. Okay. And that seems like ages ago. All right. So five years seems about right. Uh Offensive coordinator is Mike Sanford Jr. This is his second year uh, underneath P.J. Fleck. Looking for a better year, uh, year two than year one. Uh, with that being said, and, you know, there's going to be some redundancy of some of the things we talked about with Ryan, but, hey, that's the way it is. There's only so many things you can talk about with any given team. But definitely I think there's reasons why the offense sputtered last year. Mike Sanford only getting a short amount of time and practice time with his players before the bullets started flying on the fall. There's absolutely no way you can't say that didn't make a difference in in how effective this offense was last year. I'd like to know exactly how many practices they got. It's less than most people think. Yeah. I don't know what the exact number is, but not many. That's that's what I think. So returning starters on offense, nine, I think is a good number that you could wind up at. Stats last year. Now, I think when we go through these offensive and defensive stats, okay, I think they're interesting. Offense, 69th 
last year at 391 yards per game. Scoring offense, even a little worse, 71st at 27.3 points per game. Most people are looking at this to be one of the better offenses in the Big Ten in 2021. I mean, that's something I, I don't think I'm making that up in my head, right? You see that a lot. It's surprising because it just seemed like Mo Ibrahim was scoring at will. Yeah, he was. But that was about it. Now, just, I mean, he took away a ton of red zone shots for Tanner Morgan and Agent Zero and Chris Ottman bell Okay, so that definitely plays into it. But overall... I felt that the moaning and groaning that I heard from Gopher fans, it, you could hear. I mean, there was a lot of Gopher fans wondering what's wrong with Tanner, what's wrong with yeah. the offense. It was obviously a step back from 2019, and it was felt by everybody. Yeah, I think that had to be expected with a lot of the things that were going on. With the not practicing is one, but more than that, with the offensive line being shooken up, playing, I remember, freshmen, yep. walk-ons at times. You know, uh, losing Tyler Johnson, Agent Zero only played part of the year. So there was there's a ton going on there. And I sometimes things are excuses. Sometimes things are reasons. This kind of sounds more like reasons to me. Like, I don't think it was excuses. There was a, there was just a lot, of, a lot of hurdles put up in front of this offense. But let's look at the offense moving forward in 2021. Um you could make an argument that Tanner Morgan is the best quarterback in the Big Ten. Could you not? I Okay, I want to say this and say it loudly and clearly. I feel like Tanner Morgan is kind of getting dissed nationally, and even by a lot of Big Ten pundits that are just overlooking how good he was in 2019. I know there are reasons for that. They don't have the same wide receiving core they had back then. But, boy, I, I he doesn't seem to get mentioned in – you know, first team quarterback, second team quarterback, sometimes not even honorable mention quarterback. I think people are sleeping on this guy. I agree. Um, I understand if they put Michael Penix Jr. in front of Tanner Morgan. I do too. Because then you're looking at the weapons that he has probably a little bit better than what's set up for Tanner Morgan, which we're going to get into in a little bit. So I understand that. Um, with that being said, nobody in the Big Ten, I can say this as a fact. Nobody in the Big Ten, as far as a quarterback, has put a year on their resume like Tanner Morgan has from 2019. No. Nobody. Right. So there is something to be said about pointing to something like that and say, I did that. Like, you can't take that away from me. I don't care how the rest of my career winds up. I did that. And I'd also like to point out, I thought he looked dialed in in the spring game. Now it's the spring game. I don't want to put too much into it, but I swear the ball was coming out of his hands quicker. He looked like he was more confident. He's had a rough off season. It's the first time we've got a chance yeah. to say it with his, with his father passing away. So prayers up to him because if he has a great year, that's a great story in itself. It's going to be interesting though, to see how things wind up with Tanner Morgan this year. I mean, I think that's going to inspire him to play good football. Also going back to the practicing thing. So much of what they did was based on timing. That, yep. that quick slant, right? Yep. I, I don't awesome. know how you do that without reps after reps. Remember going to the gopher practice and the quarterbacks just did that over and over and over again. He, he lost that timing, I think. No doubt about it. Um, so with that being said, Zach Anikstead might be as good of a quarterback as Tanner Morgan. I know he doesn't even come close to having the stats that are there, but many a gopher fan feel pretty good 
about their backup quarterback, and I, I, I think they have the right to be. Well, and you can go down to guys after that. This is just a deep, really talented quarterback room. I, I, I don't think there's any doubt about it. So who's they got to work with? So, I mean, obviously we start with Mo Ibrahim. We have waxed poetic quite a bit on this podcast about Mo Ibrahim. Um, I'm not saying we're not going to now, but there's just there's just not much more to say about the guy. Like he was an absolute workhorse, slippery, physical, good vision. The only knock I have in his game is probably could be a little bit more active in in the passing game. But other than that, just an absolute stud of a Big Ten running back. Yeah, there's nothing really to say about him. So I think the only thing to really say is. What if he gets hurt? You got Trey Potts behind him. Yep. I know there's some other. I know it's it's you know it, it's a I guess talented room, but but unproven room. Correct. So we don't know what happens if he goes down. So I think that's a big part of them having success this year is him staying healthy. I would say it's so that means our Trey and uh, PJ Fleck at Big Ten Media Days alluded to the fact that they need to take carries off of Mo Ibrahim uh they need to get the second and third guys you know by the way they call it uh a pair and a spare maybe we call this Mo and two Mo because that's what it's going to be we know who the number one is but can two guys kind of band together to just help him out a little bit I mean he's like 5'8 215 I mean you can't expect him to go through a 13 14 game schedule and pull this off right yeah, I, I saw, saw PJ say something about him the other day. He's like, he's not the biggest. He's not the strongest. He's not the fastest, but he's he's the best. He's good at all that stuff. So, yeah, it, uh, depth is going to be interesting. Now, the targets, okay? Um, maybe my first controversial thing I would say about Minnesota, but I think there's reason to be concerned here on who Tanner Morgan has to throw to. And maybe we kind of saw a little bit of that last year already. Okay, so a couple things. They don't like to use the tight end. We know that, right? They got a couple good ones. Bryce Whittam, Brevin Spanford. They don't seem to target them. What's easier to find on a fall day? A Sasquatch or Brevin Spanford? I, you know, I've seen him make plays. I know he can do it. But yeah, it's, they're, they're similar. I don't know. In Minnesota, it might be a little easier to find a Brevin Span Ford, but to me, I believe it's a flat out X's and O's thing because I think so. if you are running those slants, right, which means the quarterback is very quickly looking on the inside to see if the linebacker has vacated the area that he wants to go to, tough to make that read and then turn around and also stay in the middle of the field and find the tight end. I'm just saying there's got to be a schematic reason why the tight ends haven't been used along with the fact that Brevin Stan Brevin uh, span Ford needs to stay healthy. Okay. Crab. All right. Chris Ottman Bell. Do I like Chris Ottman Bell? You're dang right. I do. He is a quality wide receiver. I don't think he makes first or second team all big 10 and third would even be pushing it. Part of that is because I mean, there are some stacked wide receivers in this league, Ohio state, David Bell, Indiana, the other side of it is I just think he is quite a big step down from Tyler Johnson and a gigantic leap down from Agent Zero. I would agree with that. I think he will be productive this year. But to me, the key to this wide receiver group is Daniel Jackson having a taken a, a big leap. We we know he's talented. He had a few catches last year, didn't have a you know, didn't jump out and have a great year. But I I think that's a big key, as is Tanner Morgan 
to this whole offense is is getting really good production from a second wide receiver. And I want to throw Dylan Wright in there too. Absolutely. The Texas A&M transfer. Absolutely. He was a highly rated guy. Now he's a transfer. So I don't look at them as a top 100 guy after they transfer necessarily. But between those two, I, we got to see someone have a really good breakout year. You have got to have two different targets because any defensive coordinator worth his paycheck is going to try to take the top option away so if that's Chris Ottman Bell like we think it is bingo you nailed it somebody else got to step up we're not saying these guys ain't talented all right that yep. is not the point I'm trying to make I'm saying I've never seen it before with that being said I've got faith in PGA yeah. right so I want to say that I'm confident somebody will do that because I, the wide receivers at Minnesota have just become one of those groups in the Big Ten where you expected things out of them even if they don't even if they lose a lot of talent I just trust PJ to not only coach them well, but to choose the right uh, skill set for his system and, and develop them. I agree, but we'll see. It's going to be something that's yes, going to be interesting to see mark. right from the get go. The offensive line has 12 returning starters. Now we're joking, but honest to God, honestly, I believe you could make two quality Big Ten offensive lines for what they have in their two deep. I mean, yeah, you've got if you look at returning guys that have been starters at some point in the past, one, two, three, four, five, six. I'm counting at least seven. Right I think there. you can go to eight. I okay. think you can go to eight. Like, and these are guys that have played big time quality. I mean, right, and played in, well in in um uh, the book we're looking at here, they don't even uh, uh, list Curtis Dunlap and Mount Falele as starters. I seen them start. Yeah. Right? I mean, they were all over the, the playing field in that offense in 2019 that these are starters. And, you know, some people think Blaze Andrews is still the best uh, uh, um, lineman on the entire team. People really love John Michael Schmitz, too. I mean, dude, Connor Olson, seriously. This is a very talented offensive line. I think it's the second best offensive line in the Big Ten. Maybe challenging Ohio State a little bit. It Ohio might State be probably more talented. Ohio State more Minnesota talented. has more has more experience. Yes, it's one of those deals, probably. Yeah, but long story short, not only do they have a good front line, they've got depth that does give you confidence in the offense. That you know what, let's run the ball with Mo Ibrahim behind that offensive line and just let things open up for the playmakers down the field. I'm not trying to doubt the offense too much. I'm just saying I need to see it. Here's something interesting. This is a pick six previous thing. He does his returning production, right? They, he, by his count, they had, they returned 75% of the offensive production. That's only good for 50th in the country. That's, that's weird. That's how much, but that's how weird this year is. Cause everybody's be. coming back. Cause everyone's back, but th it's only 50th. Yeah, but it's still good. And I tell you one thing, it's just another stat that's going to add to what I think is going to be a crazy year. Yes, in college probably true. Speaking of crazy, whew, this defense uh, was letting guys run through their secondary and through their linebackers like crazy last year. Now, here's the crazy thing, right? Okay. Returning starters, let's call it five. All right. I think that's being kind of generous, but which that is we weird can... because going back to pick six previews, According to him, 84% of production returns. Right, but mostly part of that is I think even Minnesota fans are hoping a couple starters from last year get well, beat the, out or are, are so actually the, banking on the fact that they will get beat out. One of those things. The good news is 84% returns. The bad news is 84% returns. So here's what's crazy, all right? This is 
you know, I don't know about you, but whenever you do these deep dives and all the magazines and we start talking to our insiders, by the way, shout out to Danimal. Uh, and then I have two gopher insiders now. Neither one of them are allowed to say their name on the podcast. Two of them now. You can't say their name. I cannot say their name. And one of them, 100%, I understand why this this individual's name does not want to get out. But I, I have had help from people. That's it. That's all I can give you. It's a little teaser. I'm okay, sorry. Okay, but you got Danimal out there. Danimal, hey, Danimal's there. He's 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 like a warm, secure, uh, maroon security blanket, man. But here's what's crazy when I start doing these deep dives, right? Um, okay, so total offense, Gophers, 69th. Oh, my God. How bad is the defense, right? This is the worst defense ever. 70 seconds. I don't know how that's possible. The offense was essentially just as unproductive as their defense. That's what the stats tell you. Okay, but what about points per game? It's got to be way different, right? I mean, scoring offense, 71st. Scoring defense, 70th. I don't know how that's possible either. Doth my eyes deceive me? I don't know. I just, I'm going to have to say, I don't believe you. Now, I will say this. Uh, The defense that Joe Rossi was rolling out at the end of the year was much improved than the, the defense that was the first two weeks of the year. The, the linebacker play that I saw out of Minnesota, the first two weeks of the year versus Michigan and Maryland it was doo-doo. I, I think it was historically some of the worst linebacker play I've ever seen. Does the D line play into that? Naturally. Of course it's a, it's an ultimate team sport. I saw plays getting funneled into the linebackers that were lost. Like I, I literally sat there and watched games. Cause I'm like, what is this linebackers eyes telling them? Yeah. And I don't know what they were seeing, but they were completely off. They, so let's, did, they did improve a lot though. I'll say they that. did. So let's, let's start there with the linebackers. The, the oft belagered Mariano, sorry, Marin um, to the point where when PJ Fleck talked positively, about his linebacker, it it upset Gopher fans because they did not want the positive conversation to be around him because they so much want him to be yeah, replaced. It, it was it was ugly early on for sure, but we'll see. Um, what does help out? And, and, and as far as linebackers, um, Braylon Oliver coming back from injury definitely a huge boon. Like you could label him as yeah. a returning starter, I correct? Think. And that's, so that that's a big deal. It's huge. And boy, do Gopher fans have a maroon heart on for Cody Lindbergh. And really, absolutely. This is a guy, not a high recruit, home state guy, not, not rooting against him. Don't get me wrong. I'm just, I'm wondering what the chatter and everything is on Cody Lindbergh. Maybe he's just one of those guys that was under recruited and under known. Definitely a guy that I've got my eye on of all the players in the Big Ten West to see if he winds up being what Gopher fans hope hope he is. Not saying he is or isn't, just saying I got my eye on and see how it is. Certainly defensive line plays in to how the entire front seven plays. Certainly the defensive line was back was was not so good last year. We're expecting it to be better this year. Yeah, I do expect to be better for a number of reasons. I mean, just experience on the outside, although Boye Mafe and Odumewu yep. have a lot to prove. Both of those guys. Yeah, I know Mafe can rush the quarterback, but he's got to do better against the run. And I don't know, Odumewu, he's like, he's an off-the-bus guy. He is. He's a specimen, but haven't really seen a ton from him on, on field. But I do feel good about the interior of this defensive line because they got some decent depth there. They bring in Niles Pickney from Clemson, which should be, that. I mean, that should be. This isn't just a 
a transfer from a big school that was a four or five star guy that didn't play. Miles Pinckney played like and he played well. It's hard to believe that your defensive line doesn't get a little bit better when you bring in a guy like him. And I do expect him to make a big difference. You got to be strong up the middle. They were like historically weak up the middle on defense. That's a good place to start to fix yeah. it. And Micah Dutreadway comes back for his 27th collegiate season. So you got to figure he's going to, he's going to provide some, you know, a lot of snaps and some depth do, there. Do, who and, Does Minnesota lead the country in, in players with hyphens in their names? How about I, it? I swear to God. And I, I can't come up with any other than uh, Micah Dutreadway and Mariana, sorry, Marin. But anyway, so Micah Dutreadway, speaking of, the other hyphen uh, teammate, maybe a guy that Gopher fans are also hoping, you know, gets beat out a little bit on the interior line because they also brought in another transfer, NC State Val Martin. It's another guy that's got some playing time. There is a a newfound confidence in the Gopher fans with their D line. I'm also wondering if the newfound confidence is also an unfounded confidence, just in the overall jump in exceptionalism that they expect out of their D line. I believe it to be very much improved. I guess I'm again going to have to see this be one of the best D lines in the big 10 West with my eyes before I can, you know, say it on this podcast. I think it's gotta be, they added talent. They're more experienced. It's going to be better. I agree. I'm trying to dance on two sides of the fence here. I definitely think it's going to be better. I think the linebackers are going to be better, which then in turn, should help out the secondary. I'm going to tell you right now, I know I didn't play a lot in Iowa, but I did. I had enough scrimmages. I had enough playing time to know if a running back or a slot wide receiver catches the ball in stride without getting touched by the front seven, the ability to make a tackle from a safety spot, I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm saying it's scratching the surface of being freaking impossible when you get to this level. I believe these safeties that are very much loathed, again, by by Gopher fans, I think they're maybe being a little bit too hard on Jordan Howden and especially Tyler Newbin. I think Tyler Newbin's actually a pretty talented dude. Uh, I mean, I saw him make a lot of good plays last year. I also saw him make a lot of bad plays last year. I think that's fair. But he was only a freshman. Okay. So I expect him to improve. He's a talented guy. He is a talented guy yeah, from St. Charles, Illinois, by the yeah. way. Um, <laughs> of course. Just throwing that out yeah. there. But they got some depth, too, yeah. especially the cornerback position. I mean, Terrell Smith has played some really good football. Philip Howard is a name we know. So I, I think, uh, first of all, with the, the front being so much yep. improved, I think we'll see improved play. From the back end. I agree. Uh, Coney Durr, I think you could officially put him in the underrated category as far as Big Ten players. And it sure seems to be that Terrell Smith is the one kind of turning heads. Long story short, the the numbers and the overall aesthetics of the Gopher defense, we think it's going to be quite a bit better this year. Special teams. Well, okay. So what they did here, they just brought in transfers, baby. (laughs) That's what what you do. What we're doing is not good. So we're going to do something different. And it may still not be good, but it could be good. Like, but here's the deal. If their special teams rate out at a D-plus level, that's improvement. It's improvement. I mean, we that's t- how bad it's been. We talked about this with Ryan Burns uh, on the previous podcast, and he was – wait, was that on air? 
I can't remember. Well, he was he was loathing their their. He special. has done if it wasn't during our recording, he's done it in multiple yes. other recordings and posts. So I don't he, think he we're was hiding anything. Not here. saying pleasant things overall about the special team since PJ's arrived, and it's cost them games. Yes. And it's in and anything can go bad for one year. Injuries just you know shit goes awry. But when you're getting on two and three years. Dude, that's that's coaching and that's bad decision making right there. That's gonna be that's gonna be an Achilles heel for this team. You can't you can't have atrocious special teams and win the division. You can't win the West with bad special teams. No. That's all there is to it. I do think they'll be better with the Kent State kicker that they've brought in, but I mean, we're talking return game, we're talking covered game. It has all got to drastically improve. And why do you need to improve? Because of well, you play in the Big Ten and you get a tough schedule. So we'll jump into that now. Yeah, you're gonna just go ahead and start out with the Buckeyes at home, huh? Why not? Right? I mean, it now, only gets easier after that. That's a good point. Now, after you after you accept the fact that, you know, the last year's college football playoff, you know, runner up is coming into your stadium, maybe you just accept it, right? And then you start thinking to yourself, we don't even have to win this game. Yeah. We could we could lose this game 31 to 21 send a message to the rest of the country the 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 conference and fans that we're a pretty good team this is a great opportunity for minnesota to start the year it's a huge opportunity i mean th- they have had this circled on on the calendar for the entire offseason i guarantee that pj fleck has talked to the team every day about playing the buckeyes you get a Buckeye team that's got a lot of turnover, especially we don't even know who the quarterback is going to be playing in his first collegiate game, playing against a power five opponent in within conference. And you're a very experienced team. This, I think, look, if you're going to play Ohio state, that's exactly where you want them. It's on a Thursday night. So it's a weird, you know, going to be, we had this down as Ohio state's scariest game of the year. Yes. And why? Because of matchups. We have, a lot of faith in Ohio State's D-line, but their linebackers and parts of their secondary yeah. that if Mo Ibrahim can squirt past uh, the Ohio State defensive line and get into those Ohio State linebackers, we'll see. I would love to sit in on the P.J. Flex staff when they uh, do the game plan on how they're going to attack yeah. Ohio State. I mean, one would think it would be heavy doses of Mo Ibrahim, but... Anyways, very intriguing. Uh, Miami of Ohio and the awful Bowling Green Falcons. But the other game that really intrigues me, I mean, at Colorado, third game of the year, my guess is the odds makers right now have that as a toss-up game. That is going to be a really good barometer game for how good this Minnesota team is going to be. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you want any any more on the schedule before we get into the biggest and scariest game no, and whatnot? Nope, let's move on. Um Let's go. Let's go. Scariest game. How's that sound? Scariest game. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm going Miami of Ohio after after the Ohio State game. Okay. Uh, that looking at a letdown and and the Gophers historically yeah. don't play very well in those early non-con games. So what if it's what if they lose by three points at the very end of the game? So they're emotionally drained. They go into that Miami game completely okay. flat. Something like that would be interesting. I'm gonna go on record as saying the. 2019 early struggles, but you know, getting, I think it's getting overplayed at this Probably. point. I, I think, I think PJ was still getting, you know, the culture in place and everything like that. I know they struggled at the beginning of the year last year. Again, I think that's because of the lack of practicing. I think they're going to be fine. 
the scariest game of the year I have written down any of the black and gold teams. Okay. At Colorado is a scary game. You lose that game. You probably wind up one and two. That's tough. Uh, uh, at Purdue is a scary game. And quite honestly, at Iowa, Kinnick Stadium, after playing Northwestern, Illinois, Indiana is before that. Kinnick has been a house of horrors. Any one of those games could derail either what they're trying to get going or what they have already gotten going at that point if they lose one of those games. Biggest games of the year, I also have Iowa. That yeah, to me, yeah. that to me is Mo Ibrahim talked about it in media. I mean, tons of other. I mean, we know uh, 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 Gopher fans hate Iowa because that's their very succinct cheer that they have for it. They have not won in Kinnick Stadium since literally this century. You beat Iowa, you get the pig. Trust me, that would be one of the most enjoyable football contests Gopher fans have had in a long, long time. You'd have to go back to the Axe game three years ago. That's the biggest game in the schedule for them. I I don't blame you. I think that's a good choice. I'm going with the Ohio State game because, like you alluded to earlier, what if you lose but it's close? That sets you up for a good season. What if you win? That sets you up for a great season. I like Ohio State. Ballsy, ballsy pick. Curb snap. Uh, what do you got? So I went completely opposite of you with the scary. I'm, I'm going at Purdue. This is a run-based offense against a team that cannot stop the run. I think they just feed Mo Ibrahim, and they just win that game on his back alone. Okay, that's a very good thing. I my, the the Purdue thing was more about if they should lose that game, and the fact yeah. that Purdue has got uh, they, they want to get back him since a, after what went down at the end of the game last year. So I think we could get a charged up Purdue team. I think there's a chance that. Purdue could be fighting for its life at that time. So that kind of played into the scariest game. Curb stomp for me, honestly, coming off of a bye week, having Nebraska at home or Maryland. So Nebraska or Maryland, they could be catching a groove at that point if they smoke Bowling Green, which they're going to do. If they beat up on Purdue, okay, a bye week, and then Nebraska-Maryland, they could be rolling by then. Watch out. That's that's not a great place to catch Minnesota if you're Nebraska. So how fast do you think P.J. Fleck will sprint away from the sideline reporter if they beat Purdue again? I hope he has got them hamstrings <laughs> nice and warmed up, man. God, that was one of the funniest things ever. <laughs> that's hysterical. Oh, man. Um, yeah, anything else with the schedule? No, but we got to go to over-under. Yeah, over-under. <laughs> so the one thing I would say is you start out with Ohio State, okay? Then you have... Miami, Ohio, Colorado, Bowling Green, Purdue, a bye week, Nebraska, Maryland. Is it crazy to think that they could go 0-1 and then win the next six games? Not at all. I mean, I think you've got four almost uh, – no, I shouldn't say that. But I think regardless of what happens to Ohio State, after that, I see four wins in a row. Okay. I think they're going to beat Colorado too. Let me, yeah. Let me just say that. So I'm with you there. I'll say this. I think if they challenge Ohio State – and beat up on Miami of Ohio. They'll be favored at Colorado. They'll for sure be favored versus Bowling Green and Purdue. Then it'd be interesting to see if yeah. they're favored versus Nebraska. Got them if at home. Dude, it's and and they've won two of the last three. And then Maryland at home too. Dude, they could really I mean they could they could win six in a row right there. And then you got Northwestern. Now, you know, I, I I'm an I'm dude. an over on this one. 
Over under is seven. I think we're both over yeah. here, correct? Like, yes. To me, the two most uh, uh, viable records that they would wind up with are seven and five and eight and four. I feel like an over here is definitely pushes in the is in the neighborhood, but eight and four or even better is right there as long as they. I think so. I I, I agree. This is one I'm thinking I'm gonna lay some cash down on. Gonna do that? Yeah. I think so. If you do that officially, you let me know. All right. All right. That is the 2021 Minnesota Golden Gophers. That moves us on to the 2021 Michigan Wolverines. Shout out to Jordan Eggleston at JWE Eggleston 7. So I just want to make sure I'm saying this first. Uh, Jordan was positive and like fortright with his with his knowledge and and like he didn't overdo it one way or the other. Okay. I just want to make sure any Michigan fans listening to this know that when I start talking about this team, okay, little little foreshadowing, it's not Jordan. Okay. It's mostly me taking the knowledge from Jordan okay. and magazines and turning it into my own. Jordan feels better about the team than me. Okay. Okay. So, nice fair. disclaimer. Jordan, a new friend of the show, by the way, he's amazing. He's one of my now favorite followers on Twitter and end of the podcast. So last five years, by the way, 49 and 19. This is not bad. That's not too shabby, man. <laughs> I mean, every time I see that record, I pause and think, you know, we're a little too tough on khaki pants. I think I'm probably a little too tough on khaki pants. Uh, but he, he is weird, though. Come on. Can we admit that? Okay. So, okay. Hi. Several 10 win seasons. I can't pick any of them out. There's been a, t- a bunch of 10 he, win seasons. He's had some good years. Okay. Low was obviously last year. So back on what you just said, you know how teams take over their coach's personality. Yeah, This is a weird team. It's a weird team to get your hands on. I don't know what to expect. I call me crazy. And by the way, maybe we should make this part of the segment of the team previews, but the high and the low, the low, I could see all the way down to four and eight. You can see that low five and seven boy up to 11 and one. I'm dead serious. I can't see eleven and one. I can't see four and eight. I could see five and seven. I let's not get into the thing. I I don't see a big as big a swing as you. Okay, so you, my guess is you're closer to the middle. I mean, we'll hit that with the over yeah. runner. Okay. Um. Okay. You you weren't surprised about PJ. This is khaki pants seventh year. Yeah. Does that seem about right? Well, there's enough drama for seven years. That's for gosh. sure. It's. It's been a roller coaster. It has been a years. roller coaster. Like, it's been a fun one. Here, though. Here's one of those. <laughs> okay, thank you. <laughs> like, I understand why Ohio State and Michigan State fans hate khaki pants. Okay, it's not hard for me to make that leap. But as an Iowa fan, I just think he's entertaining. He is entertaining, and I took him too seriously at first. I was really annoyed by him when he when he came to the Big Ten, but. It took me a couple of years and I started, you know, softening. And now I, I, <laughs> I watch him in interviews and I just laugh. Yeah. I just have a good time with it. I think that's the key to enjoying your time with Jim Harbaugh is just doing that. And I think the, the high point for me was the Colin Coward interview. Yeah. Just the, I mean, do you remember <laughs> this is way, way deep, but uh, do you remember when Eminem, joined the uh saturday night crew kirk herb street in the booth yes like four years ago and his eyes were wide and he looked like he was a scared rabbit and it's about the only interview that 
involves college football that's weirder than the one you just talked about. Boy, those poor guys interviewing. Like, how do they get through that? Kirk was just having a good time. He's like, oh, my God, how many narcotics is this dude on right now? And what questions can I ask him? Um, Okay, so it's uh, uh, concentrating on the offense for now. This is Josh Gaddis's, I'm doing air quotes here, third year. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's his first. Maybe it's his first, second. I don't know. Like, I'm Maybe it's still... his first year not being the offensive coordinator <laughs> at Michigan. I have no idea what's going on with the relationship between Jim Harbaugh, Josh Gaddis, and the offense. I just know it's not as simple as Jim Harbaugh is the CEO, Josh Gaddis calls the plays, and that's it. it. It is a weird situation going on there. So let's make it weirder, right? Yep. Let's bring in Matt Weiss, who was the – Ravens running game savant is the best way I can put it. But what, what title does he get on this staff quarterbacks coach? That is so weird. Isn't it? And he's coached a lot of defense from what I, from what I read in his time before he coached more defense than offense in his career. I don't know. Like basically what I've heard is that he is a savant. This is a guy that has the ability to, look at what teams are doing, look at data, and break stuff down in a way that people can't see. Sounds perfect for a Harbaugh staff. Just more oddities that you bring in on how this goes. I'll give I'm you not another. saying it's going to be good or bad. I'm just saying it's another it's another sure. enigma wrapped in a riddle in, involving the staff. And by the way, the escalation of Sharon Moore up to co-offensive coordinator, too, is a weird one. Do you think Mike Hart walks in? And you ever seen that meme? It's from one of my favorite shows of all time, Community. And the character walks in with pizzas because he just thinks he's coming back. And there's fires and people are running okay. around. Yeah. running. That's how I think Mark, Mike Hart feels every time he walks into the office. Because I believe in Mike Hart, man. Like that dude yeah. Yeah. can coach and develop and recruit. And recruit. Oh, my gosh. Can he recruit? Um. Anyways. Okay. So where do we go? Uh, returning starters on offense five. Total offense last year, 78th, 382 yards per game, scoring 66, 28 yards per game. These were not impressive numbers. It was not an impressive offense. Because of that, we have tons of question marks coming in to this team. Um, Let's start at quarterback. It probably is going to be Cade McNamara to start the year. I think so, but I think there's two philosophies you can go with here. You got super recruit J.J. McCarthy, who's a true freshman. You also got Alan Bowman, the transfer from Texas. He can throw late passes between his legs. I don't know. If he can that. also like jump and spin and throw passes. And a lot I mean, of- it's fun to watch. It's just weird. It's just weird that people post that, I guess. And are like, this yes. is awesome. Yeah, it's so awesome. But anyway, there's two ways to go. We're supposed to have fun. You know, it's fun to watch a kid do that. I'm not coming down too hard, but okay. Well, it's my it's the responses to the the post. I guess is the one what I laugh at. (laughs) Agree. Agree. Okay. So anyway, there's two ways you can go here. You got Alan Bowman. You could just use him as a bridge. You know, for this year, and you get a guy that has performed before. Has done pretty well at Texas Tech. Or you can go with with D Mac, or I'm sorry, C Mac, Cade McNamara. We can call. He was eh good and bad last year. Or do you just roll the dice and say, look, we don't see there a great go. team this year. Do we just play J.J. McCarthy and just get him some sp- experience and just look for the future? Look to the future. That is probably the debate that's happening with a lot of Michigan fans. Here is my take on it. You just need to play the quarterback that is best suited for the downfield passing game come week one. 
just get some wins on the ledger get the offensive move get the offense moving don't overcomplicate this i mean i i err to that side too it's you don't want to get in a situation where you have a miserable like four and eight year because that hurts recruiting and that people can just kind of stop paying attention to the program if you're if you have too bad of a year by the way i don't think michigan's going four and eight okay that is a catastrophic wheels fall off type of thing Michigan doesn't go four and eight. I don't I think know so. The, the one time they did that with Rich Rod was like eons ago. Like I'm just saying the, the potential is there for a four and eight, five and seven season. If all of these things fall, you know, all the wheels fall but off. Here's the thing though. To me, you don't bring in an Alan Bowman. If you think you're going to roll with JJ McCarthy, right? You don't bring him well, in to be the backup. You bring him in to, to compete with. I agree. Cade McNamara. I agree. Because you don't know what you have at J.J. McCarthy at that no. time until they start getting into So, by camp, the way, so. we've got C-Mac and J-Mac on this yeah, t- yeah. in this quarterback room. Yeah, we'll see. Um, uh, okay, then who are they throwing to? I really like Ronnie Bell. And yeah. And then what? I, I Ronnie Bell is the awesome. Every, Ronnie Bell is welcome on almost any roster in the country because he is going to be a really steady Yeah. Number two, maybe a slot. Number three, gonna get open, catch the ball, do do good things for your offense. Okay, so this is nothing against Ronnie Bell, other than this is Michigan. We're used to Michigan wide receivers. Yeah, you sit there and say, "Holy cow, they got two, they got three, they got four guys that are gonna be dressing up on Sundays." We have not seen that for three, four years now. As you have correctly pointed out many times on this podcast. Where are the big plays coming from? There's no big playmakers. There's no explosiveness. Yeah, Cornelius Johnson had a decent year. He only had 12 catches, but three touchdowns last year. And you got super recruit A.J. Henning. They tried to work him into the offense last year. It wasn't clicking, so we don't know really about him. And then you start going down. And by the way, Giles Jackson off to Washington, their week two appointment. Right. Craziest thing in the world. They have got a lot of young talent. Okay, I mean, you already talked about A.J. Henning. Andrew Anthony. Another guy that is very young but very talented. Also looking at Mike Sanderstill and Roman Wilson. I know I just murdered Mike's name. Sanderstill, I think. Sanderstill, yep. Um, so th- there is four or five guys that on paper, uh, uh, measurables, whatever you want to call it, dude, th- there's talent there. Yeah. At what point is it going to pop? Well, yeah, I just don't know that they take advantage of it because we haven't seen it. Haven't seen it in a while. So we're not doubting the talent. We're doubting the production. It's just another year. We got to see it. I don't know. I don't know what else to say at this point. Switching to more positive stuff. I do like the running backs. Okay. I I think Asan Haskins is is good. I'm not trying to oversell it. He's good. So, okay. And I really like Blake Corum. You really like Blake Horn. Okay. I very much. I, now, you're going to have to use him correctly. Uh, he's not a every down back type of guy, but a jet sweepy, you know, gadget, yeah. Swiss Army knife, get him in, you know, passing down type of stuff. Very much like Blake Corum. I think Haskins is fine. I think Corum is fine too. So I'm looking forward to seeing Donovan Edwards. Play, yeah. The true freshman. Yeah. From West Bloomfield, Michigan. Okay. I, that's what I want to see. How much do they incorporate him? How many carries does he get? But I think if you put so, those, assuming that, that he's productive, the freshman's productive, that's a decent running back room. Right. So 
just like the wide receiver room, you've got one, not upperclassman with Hassan Haskins, but an established player. Okay. And for the wide receiver room, it's Ronnie Bell. And then you got a whole mix of talented, but we haven't seen it on the field. People after that, yeah. the wide receiver room, the running back yeah. room, the same. Okay. Let's go on to the offensive line. Now. Yeah. It's the same, same thing. thing. It's the exact same thing. I, I like, I really like uh, their center, Zach Zinner, but he's young. He's a redshirt freshman. The tackles are young. Everybody is young on this offensive lineman. They got one, maybe two upperclassmen that are on the offensive line. But again, we are talking about a bunch of unproven yet talented people that are they're going to have to try to figure out a way to mesh together. So we know they recruit well. Yeah. We just we needed to that. coach well. For real. That's it. And, and Harbaugh deserves credit for the recruiting. Yes. But we need to see the coaching. Absolutely. This is going to be one of going to take one of the strongest efforts to come together in this entire offense. And one last thing about the coaching. Sharon Moore, I'm going back to him. He was the tight ends coach for seven years. He's now the offensive line coach and assistant OC. I, I don't know. Get your, get your tight ends involved or that, what are you saying? It's just weird yeah. to go from tight ends to now he's an offensive coordinator. It's a little bit of a leap, I think. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Uh, switching on to the defense. I think we got a little bit more reason to be positive here. Uh, I think you could say eight to nine to maybe 10 returning starters or guys with a lot of experience. Um, so we'll start with the defensive line. Okay. A, uh, Aiden Hutchinson, one of the better. This is kind of a down year for defensive line in the Big Ten. Aiden Hutchinson is... He's, he's on the 10-year plan, right, for yep. one of those guys we got to put on the list. He's been there forever. That's a great place to start. With that being said, I, I've i seen guys with more talent at Michigan along the defensive line yeah. in the past 20 years. That's fair. Like, he's really good, but he should maybe be your second-best defensive lineman. Does yeah, that make but, sense? Yeah, I get that thinking. But here's here's my thinking with Michigan and the defensive line, is they always have a good one, and they always plug them in in the in the Harbaugh era. So I feel I feel confident in the defensive I line. I do, too. I, I think Donovan Jeter, Chris Hinton, like these guys have not shown out as much as you would think they would for a Michigan defensive line. With that being said, and we glossed over this, the fact that Don Brown – is gone. And the fact that Mike McDonald and Maurice Lindquist are in, I don't know much about these guys, but here's what I do know about them. They're not Don Brown. Okay. Like the, the his commitment to man, uh, uh, leaving his cornerbacks and DBs on an Island, no matter what was getting thrown at them was ridiculous. Maybe just go 70% man, that 30% zone that I'm just going to assume the new coordinators are going to work in it's going to help everybody, including the defensive line. And as we move through the defense, do you think the most mentally abused position group in the entire big 10 was the defensive backfield for Michigan in the Don Brown era? Okay. So let's start there because, uh, Vincent gray is one of the most mentally abused people on this defense. He has completely lost his confidence. I don't think he's going to be starting in the secondary. So who's going to be the, the starters in the uh, secondary, uh, uh, Jamin Green is probably going to be their number one cornerback. And then it looks like freshman DJ Turner is the fan favorite, is extremely talented. And dude, Dax Hill at safety is an absolute beast. 
him and Aiden Hutchinson probably going to wind up on the All Big Ten team. Dax Hill definitely going to wind up on an NFL roster. There is talent in the secondary to make stuff happen. But again, it's a lot of young people after Dax Hill. Well, it is. But if you look at the starting lineup, and this is according to Athlon Preview Magazine, if you go down, it's senior, senior, junior, senior. All of them are upperclassmen. The entire predicted starting lineup and, and but, you're predicting but Vincent, Vincent Gray is not going to start. So, but you said DJ Turner, he's a junior. Okay. My bad. I was thinking he was you would a little mention, bit. I was thinking he was a little bit. So fine. Younger. Slide him in for Vincent Gray. This is an all upperclassmen starting lineup. And again, the way that Michigan recruits and the way they typically play, I mean, you know, throw the Don Brown stuff aside. They've been a good defense. Yes. So against, against, Middle to lower teams. Okay, but I think they're going to be a good defense. I'm not saying they're going to hold That's fair. Ohio State to 20 points, but this is a defense good enough to win nine or 10 games. It is. Yeah. That's the point to try to For make. For sure. And we've skipped over the linebackers, but Josh Ross, Michael Barrett are stalwarts of the defense. Uh, maybe not elite, elite level but they are two dudes that definitely have a chance to be all Big Ten. And then David Ojabo, crazy athletic, probably needs more time, younger player, but it's another one of those Michigan guys that's going to be plugged in. You're going to start seeing him flashing this year. Young players on defense, maybe not so much in the secondary, stand corrected there a little bit, but enough upperclassmen for sure, young talent getting mixed in. I fully expect this to be a top 25 type of, de- type of defense, if not better. I think so as well. Yeah. So there's reasons to be confident there. Special teams. So uh, uh, two guys left, uh, Giles Jackson to Washington, wh- their best returner. They got to find somebody to replace that. And then uh, uh, got brand new starters at kicker and punter. Well, no, 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 no. So Jake Moody was on the team last year. So he did. He split the, the – okay. uh, the reps, so he's not exactly a returning starter, but he's got experience. Brad Robbins, he was sneaky, one of the better punters in the Big Ten. He wasn't Tory Taylor, Blake Hayes, good, but he had a great year last year. He, in fact, he led the Big Ten in uh, punting average last year. So we got two seniors at kicker and and punter. Maybe don't have as much uh, um, experience as you would expect out of a senior kicker and punter, but enough there. Defense is good. Offense, we got question marks. So let's get into the schedule. Um, Weird in that it seems like almost every Big Ten team is starting out with somebody big. You know, Ohio State, Minnesota, Iowa, Indiana, Penn State, Wisconsin. Illinois, Nebraska. Illinois, Nebraska. Michigan has Western Michigan. It's almost like the schedulers realized that Michigan needed to get off to a decent start. I, I'm, 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 I'm you're playing stupid conspiracy theories. I don't actually think that I'm just actually thinking to myself, it's very convenient that they do start out with Western Michigan because you could make an argument. No team in the big 10 needs a Patsy to start out with more than Michigan. That may be true. Okay. So then after that, in comes the Washington Huskies. Um, Washington is ranked in most top 25 magazines this is going to be a tough game for Michigan on the second week of the season. 
Yeah, for sure. So uh, do you want to get into yeah. biggest game? Go for it. Okay, for me, it's October 2nd, so that's week uh, five, at the Wisconsin Badgers. I think it's a good pick because there it's very reasonable to think that if Michigan gets past Washington, it could be 4-0, correct? That's correct. Western Michigan, Washington, NIU, Rutgers, no I'm not trying to disparage Rutgers here, okay, but they're going to be favored to beat Rutgers at home, okay? Going into that Badger game then, they're definitely going to be ranked. If Michigan is 4-0, they'll they'll be ranked. That's how that goes. If they then beat what we expect to be a very tough Wisconsin team. You're setting yourself up for a great year. Very big year. Or at the very least, we're right back to a 10-2 Jim Harbaugh year. And they've gotten embarrassed by Wisconsin. So it's time for some revenge. I agree. Because of that, my biggest game is Washington. Okay. Because if you win that game, we just set up what we you set up what we just talked about. If you lose that game, then all of a sudden you're one and one again, and then you're looking at that Wisconsin game where you could wind up being three and two, two and three possibly. But winning that Washington game gives them that September momentum that I think they need. Scariest game. Okay. I, We're kind of on the same page here, but I have at Wisconsin because if you get boat raced again by Wisconsin, which I I don't think is going to happen, okay, because the aforementioned defense that we talked about, but if you get boat raced or even just handily beat by Wisconsin, Michigan fans again would be like, here we go. It's just going to be another disappointing year. It hasn't felt good the last two or three years. So I see big game. I see scary game. Maybe it's a little bit of both. Curb stomp, a lot well, of places. I, I got to do scary. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, scariest game. I mean, I, I get where you're going with Wisconsin there. The easy way out is just saying Ohio State, but I don't think they're even scared anymore of Ohio State because they Agreed. just know it's going to happen. Correct. That's why I take it off. So I'm going to go with Indiana Hoosiers. Okay. So, you know, last year was a little weird, but them coming in to the big house, I, I, it, it harkens back to the late 80s. Okay. You know, the, the Mallory years. Are we going to... Have a flashback. I like the Indiana Hoosiers as the scariest game because as a helmet school, you're not supposed to lose to Indiana. Correct. That one would be up there. Um, By the way, probably the scariest game that Michigan fans won't admit out loud, but maybe would in a closed room with a whisper. Play Northwestern, and then you go on the road to play Michigan State. Yeah. I know. That's up there, too. I thought about it as well. For scariest. Uh, Curb stomp. I think there is a possibility that they'll beat Washington. Start the year out 3-0. Rolling. Kind of pissed at how they looked last year. And they curb stomp Rutgers at home. Yeah, I certainly thought about that. Um, This is... I I don't mean to poke the bear here. But I'm going with Northwestern. They always play them well. And they catch what we think is going to be an off-Northwestern year. Like, not a... Not competing, not bad, not bad. No, nope, didn't say bad. No, nope, nope. but not competing. I, I think that's the game for it's me. It's a good. It's a good. And it, they also get them after At, an idle week. So correct. It's a very good point. Yep. All right. So that gets us to the over under, which is seven and a half. That has got to be the lowest over and under over under that Michigan football has had in a long time. And with that being said, it's a debate. It's a good number. So if I go down and pick the ones I think they're going to win, think the ones I think they're going to lose, and then the ones that I'm not sure. 
the ones I'm not sure, you've got to beat Nebraska and IU, I think, to go over. And for those reasons, I, I don't see them being both those teams, so I'm going under. You're going under. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so if they start 4-0, right, they start 4-0, they've only got to win four more games. You know, they got to play 500 ball at that point to go over. Okay. So if they start four and oh, I feel good about them, but here's the deal. If they start four and oh, it's still not a lock that they go over. It's still not a lock that they go four and four. Why at Wisconsin, at Nebraska, Northwestern, at Michigan state, Indiana, at Penn state, Ohio state. It's that's tough. All of those games theoretically they could lose especially when you have a potential quarterback controversy the young players on offense not exactly gelling out at that point a coaching staff that we have questions about this thing is razor thin more than i would have thought at the beginning of my deep dive but i am gonna go under but it's it's closer Mm -hmm. than what i had thought previously before that all right that finishes up the 2021 michigan wolverines all right, our last team on the podcast is the 2021 Wisconsin Badgers. Shout out to our guy, Supercrawl. Um, I felt like I was pretty dialed in with Wisconsin, except for, uh, quite honestly, the O&D line. So I asked Supercrawl for some info. Homeboy wrote out a dissertation awesome. for me. Because if there's anything a big boy from Wisconsin wants to talk about, it's the O&D line. His, so it made O&D line thesis for 2021. <laughs> it was phenomenal. I pre-apologize because you just can't talk for an hour straight on on lines, you know, O or D line on a podcast. I feel like you might. So we're not going to get down to the fourth string left guard. Pro- probably not, but we're going to talk some. We're going to talk some. Last five years, 46 and 16. Not too shabby, especially with a, a seven and five year in there or whatever that yeah. was, eight and five. Um, high 13 and one, you know, 2017. Getting to be a little bit in the rearview mirror. The low was technically last year at four and three, but you know just how horrible and bad and such just a bad year. struggling Wisconsin was. They had a five hundred year and won their bowl game and finished four and three. Boy, they won that bowl game with authority. Yeah, after yeah. being down fourteen, it was at fourteen zip in like two and a half seconds, and then from there the game was just over. So we got Paul Christ as the head coach. Now I was trying to set you up with the previous two teams. So Paul Chris is going into his seventh year. It seems like to me he's going into his 14th year. Yes, I Does agree. It with, not? I absolutely agree with that. There's something to that with the fact that the style didn't change much with the coaches before that. So it just feels that way. And also because. So was that the weird Gary Anderson stuff before yeah, him? Okay. Gary Anderson. And before him was Burt. Right. Okay. But isn't, wouldn't it also be like back in the day, if you knew Paul Chris, like when he was in his teens or 20s, and he moved into your basement, and you would think that he only lived in your basement for like nine months, and and then your wife's like, he's been here three years. Yeah, he, you know that that's what Paul Chris seems like. He's the right. guy that pops out of the closet occasionally to just take a leak, and then goes back into the closet. <laughs> he's that guy. What was that from? Would, but one of your favorite roommates for sure. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that was from Dude. Where's my car? Dude, where's my car? Yeah, and they and each one of them thought that the other one knew him. Yeah. And it, well, your friend, that's not my friend. I don't know him. Ashton Kutcher. I had a class with him at Iowa. Are you serious? Well, yeah. I, I didn't know I had a class with Ashton Kutcher until somebody told me that. But apparently I had interactions with him. And I But hold on. Did, like, was he famous yet? No, he was not famous. And I would have remembered I had a class with Ashton Kutcher. Okay. Yeah. 
So he hadn't been in anything yet. No, it was like he just all of a sudden got up and left and said, I'm going to give this thing a shot. And like literally 12 months later, he was on uh, that 70s show. That's how that went down. Wow. Knowledge, okay, you know? so did he quit Iowa? He stopped going to class? Stopped going to Iowa. He didn't still get a, his degree. Still a huge Hawkeye fan, though. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. So Well, good for Ashton. All right, so we're going to get into the offense. Uh, Joe Rudolph, still considered the offensive coordinator, but Paul Chris is calling the plays. If you are a fan of Iowa, Minnesota, Nebraska, Illinois, Northwestern, and Purdue, I am not happy, or we should not be happy, that Paul Christ is calling the plays again. I liked it better when Joe Rudolph was calling the plays, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, it's a little more fun for the rest of us. Sleepy Paul, he knows yeah. what he's doing there. Yes, like whenever I think of Paul Christ calling the plays, I just know he's going to dial up a play action on the exact time that you don't want him. It's like he's got an innate ability to do that. There's a skill to it. Paul Christ has it. That is part of the reason why I think the offense will look better this year. Do you think he sleeps between play calls? Just a quick little nap. Would it make any quick. difference? I mean, I did. maybe he's Would getting we plenty. No, maybe Dustin Shooty know any difference if he was literally. Maybe sleeping? the reason he's good is because he's getting plenty of rest. <laughs> okay, so looking at uh, the returning starters on offense, most magazines have them at like seven or eight. Makes no sense to me. They have 10 returning starters on offense. That's how I see it. You want to hear what pick six previews thinks? What? 84% returning production, 21st in the country. So, like, they don't have, in this magazine here, Athlon, they don't have Danny Davis as a returning starter. Yeah, he's clearly a starter. They don't have, okay, they have Logan Brown, the super recruit, as a starter. Okay, perhaps that's the case. The fact of the matter is... Between their offensive line, with the amount of starts they have, I can say that there's four returning starters on the offensive line. Somebody has started at least two or three games on this offense other than maybe one spot. So that's who I took off as the starter. I'm just saying they have four returning starters. The rest of the offense is coming back. Jake Ferguson, definitely on the 10-year plan team, right? He's been there forever. Uh, they don't list Jalen Berger as a starting. I mean, he was he's a starter. He was their starter yeah. last year. Okay, so long story short, a lot of production back, a lot of things to look at. And by well, by the way, John Chanel wasn't. I don't remember him seeing him a lot. I, yeah, he is. He had a ton of experience. Absolutely, it? he's a starter. I'm calling him a starter. I mean, so it's, it's it's they basically have their entire offense back, and even Shamir uh, DK. Yeah, like he he played a bunch of football too they have three wide receivers because of i mean it's just stupid when a guy is the starter is a guy that's played his sophomore and junior year and then he gets hurt and he's yeah. not a starter he's, he's a still starter. a starter he's, he's a coming starter. back so that's wisconsin's offense so if you are a fan of minnesota iowa nebraska the teams that seem to that wisconsin draws the most ire from and you think, okay, what is the deal? Why do so many people like Wisconsin? We're starting to talk about it right now. Mm. They've got guys coming back. Mm -hmm. There's reasons to for a lot of the people that are projecting good things. With that being said, total offense in the year 2020, 103rd? That's amazing. Is If we do this podcast until we're in our 80s, that could be the weirdest, most anomaly stat that I've ever heard. 
You'd have to go back to like the 1980s to see that. Pre-Barry. Pre-Barry. For an offense that bad. Absolutely. Scoring offense, not much better. 88 to 25 points per game. This was a bad offense last year. It was. This was. But they kind of did click by the end there. Yeah. Now, part of the bowl game game was more. Was like the interceptions. Interceptions and whatnot. But so we'll start with quarterback. Okay. I I think I've stated this multiple times now. I don't think Graham Mertz is the automatic Graham Mertz that we saw versus Illinois. No. I don't think he's the Graham Mertz that looked lost and bewildered versus Northwestern. No. He's somewhere in between erring towards the Mertz that we saw versus Illinois. The point I'm trying to make, I expect Grand Mertz to be a very good Big Ten quarterback. You think very good? Um, Good. Let me let me choke it back. I, th- just a I think good as well. Good. I would go with good. He's going to have to convince me that he's going to be very good. Okay, that's fair. I I think most Wisconsin fans would agree with that. I'll be interested and to you hear it. And you just see so much love about that. High school all star game. Yeah, I watched it. It was impressive. But it was a high high school all star game. It was. He made that Illinois secondary look like a high school all star (laughs) secondary. They only play him once this year. (laughs) Have at it, Graham. So we do think Graham Mertz has talent. By the way, they've got a good quarterback room in general. I really, I still like Chase Wolf. I do as well. Danny Vandenboob, I think, is still there. Their whole quarterback room is going to be on the 10-year plan by the time they're done with this thing, by the way. Part of the reason that I've got faith is that I do believe this wide receiver crew and tight end will look exactly like Wisconsin receivers and tight ends look for years and years, which is maybe nobody jumps off the page as far as talent, star rankings, and whatnot, but they're going to get open. They're going to catch the ball. There's going to be numerous times when you see them playing uh, Eastern Michigan. We're going to be like one of these guys is just going to be running complete. Like nobody's going to be within 15 yards of him touchdown. They're going to have that. They're good enough to after getting lulled to sleep with a pounding running game. Then once you get a play action, poor cornerbacks asleep and boom. One of them's right by you. That's what happens. Yeah. That's what Wisconsin does. Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor are back to do that. They're going to do it. You talked about Shamiri. DK? DK. He's there to do it. Jack Dunn, Nolan, like, uh, uh, Jack Dunn, and there's somebody else I'm missing too. Um, They have got younger talent at wide receiver ready to step in. Going to take some time to develop. That's fine. They'll get a chance to do that. Tight end Jake Ferguson. Dude, he's... I swear to God, he's had the same stat line three years in a row. He's about ready to dial up the fourth year of the same stat line. Jake Ferguson is going to get open and make plays. That's how it's going to go. I think he's the best tight end in the league. Yes, he is. Hmm. I think it's pretty fair to say. I think it's probably Maybe not the true. most talented, most productive, yeah, 100%, without a doubt. Let's save running back for last, okay? Okay. Offensive line. Um, That was not a good offensive line last year. Or at the very least, it was not a Wisconsin offensive line. It was not a uh, Wisconsin offensive line by any stretch of the imagination. But, they, do, what, I mean, I I think they're going to be fine. Yes. Like, I have not seen them in any magazine publication for ranked units in the Big Ten worse than fourth. They're going to be in that 
possibly second, third, fourth, fifth range. Like, worst case scenario to me, fifth. I think Penn State's going to have a good offensive line as well. So they always recruit well there, right? Yeah. They're starting to recruit even better Correct. at that position. Log- so- Logan Brown, Jack Nelson, Nolan Rucci. Dude, these are these are highly coveted recruits. They've got a couple five stars in there. Five stars. Five, which that doesn't happen often at a program. Even like Wisconsin, as good as Wisconsin's been, they don't get a lot of five stars. They're starting to get them. Mixed in with guys that have that are all on the 10-year plan with Logan Bruss, Tyler Beach, uh, center Caden Lyles has been there. Um, I, I do think you could make the argument that the Wisconsin offensive line that we're going to see this year will still be dialed back a little bit from the absolute stalwart offensive lines. I could see that. Yes, I could, but this is a good offensive line. It's going to do look much better in 2021. Rest assured any rival fan bases that are hoping that there's, this is going to be a subpar offensive line. It's not. Well, and I don't know what super Crowell tells you, but I see four seniors starting on this defense or on this offensive line. Yeah. So um, four senior Wisconsin offensive linemen. I feel pretty good about that. That have been in that system and know what they do. Yeah. And pro- probably can finish each other's sentences. Yeah. Yes. It's going to be just fine. And, and the one guy that's not is going to potentially be a five-star super recruit. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Now what is something that makes a really good offensive line look like an amazing offensive line. Probably a running back like Jonathan Taylor. That is there for four years, never bleeping gets hurt. Never stubs his toe. Did you ever see him take a playoff? Like, I wonder if he ever had athletic tape applied to his body. I just don't even remember like, oh, he's he's banged up. He has to come out of the game. I don't remember that once. And then before that, I mean, you start listing off the running backs. Melvin Gordon is still running on Sundays. Gosh. Um, he was Monty, so fun to watch. Monty Ball, James White, maybe a step down from them, but like there is a, I, what I think of as Sean Green as an Iowa fan. Okay, Iowa's offensive line in 2008 was a fine offensive line. It was a good offensive line. Sean Green made them look like an elite offensive line. Yeah, is it possible that all those amazing running backs that we just listed? We're a big part of the deal, making the Wisconsin offensive line look that good yeah. for the past six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. It's a good point. I think what you're getting to is we think we have a little bit of a drop-off here compared to what we're used to from Wisconsin. As far as game-breaker turning a four-yard run into a 34-yard we, run? We don't, we, I don't think we have a guy like that on the roster. Okay, so first one you look at is Jalen Berger. Of course. We think Jalen is a good running back. Yes, for sure. I believe Jalen Berger did not completely show out last year. He got shoved into a difficult situation, just like any other young player did last year. Jalen Berger in 2021 is going to look a lot better than Jalen Berger in 2020. Yeah, and and we saw him progress throughout the year. I think he is a little bit more slippery than people give him credit for. I think he is going to be very good at getting them into manageable downs a lot. Okay. That's what Jalen Berger's going to be. But he doesn't have that home run capability that Jonathan Taylor does. I think he's more like a different John 
John Clay. John Clay, yeah. From back in the day. Which I really enjoyed John Clay, by the way. John Clay is a good running back. If he this can was, be John this Clay. Is not a, this is not an anti-John Clay no. podcast here. If he can be John Clay, I think that's a great thing for the for the Wisconsin Badgers. Is it year. great or is it really good? Okay, really good. Okay, all so right, you, fine. you pack me down once, yeah, I'm going to pack you right. down here. But isn't, isn't the devil in the details there? If you don't have that Gordon Jonathan Taylor game breaker, is that where you see their offense only average 29, 30 points per game instead of 35 or 36? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, they also brought in Clemson running back Ches Malusi, you know, along with Pinckney in Minnesota. And hey, Clemson, why don't you hold on to your freaking guys? Yeah, instead what's going of on over there? The Big Ten West, kind of sick of it. Ches Malusi, definitely a game breaker. Um, I don't know if he's, you know, in the cut of Melvin Gordon type of deal. I don't think he is, but definitely they've got a thunder and lightning thing okay. going on that was much needed. It's just crazy that Wisconsin had to go to the transfer market. That is weird, isn't it? Running back. I it's amazing. Like that, By the like way, a, that's like a 30 for 30. I'm calling him Che Louis. Che Louis. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. that's like from, that. from, uh, uh, you know Ferris what it Bueller. is? Ferris Bueller. Bueller. It's the restaurant they eat at where he pretends to be Abe Froman. The Sausage King of Chicago. Fantastic. Che Louis, the lightning Book and the it. thunder and lightning backfield for the Wisconsin Badgers. Book it. All right. So we'll move on to the defense. This defense is going to be bleeping great. Okay. Last year's stats were good. Fifth in total defense. They did not allow 300 yards a game. Their their numbers were literally 299.99. They were. They wanted to be under that 300. <laughs> they made the commitment. Scoring defense, ninth, 17.4 points per game. So how do you wind up with a winning record when you have the 103rd ranked offense? Those defensive numbers, that's a good place to start. A lot of games if you only give up 17 points a game. So uh, the the gentleman gopher guest that we had on in a previous podcast was very much uh, uh, calling into question Wisconsin's defensive line and how yeah. it could hurt the entire defense. So Keanu Benton. I don't know if he ever hit the high of highs that maybe Badger fans and certain sports writers thought he was going to be. I think Keanu Benton is Keanu Benton, which is a good player. He's a good nose tackle okay. for a 3-4 defense, right? I think he's fine. After that, they've got two seniors, defensive end Matt Henningsen and then Isaiah Mullins. Matt Henningsen has got good stats. Again, kind of like Keanu Benton, nothing that's going to – Pop your eyes out on the on the paper, but fine. Isaiah Mullins is going to have to step up. After that, there is a drop-off to mm-hmm. unproven players. So they've got a front line, and this is a 3-4. You don't need eight defensive linemen, right? You probably need five yep. or so. But it's not a it's not a overly impressive defensive line, and it's thin. With that being said, reports of the general demise of the Wisconsin defensive line have been grossly overstated. Yeah. I don't see it being a bad defensive line by any means. And I have a ton of confidence in them plugging guys in and developing guys like a lot of other position groups in the big 10. But I, I do think this is, I think they take a step back. I think this is noticeable this year. It's so odd that the biggest question marks that we have with Scott with Wisconsin are starting in the middle before we work our way out. Yeah. Well, you know, we had we have some some questions at running back. Yeah, that that's too. weird too. And we're not like overly impressed by their pass catchers. 
No. Let's get into a group that I am, am overly oh, impressed Oh, yes. With. I mean, this is the best linebacker group in the Big Ten. No doubt. I don't even think it's, like, the only only one that's got a potential to crack is maybe Penn State and Iowa. Yeah. But I was really rolling out two and a half linebackers. Right. It's going to seem like, in any given Saturday, Wisconsin has 14 linebackers yeah, on the field. It always does. But even more so this year, potentially. By the way, Jack Sanborn. Dude. There's another Van Wilder right there. Oh my God. When is he just going to. He's gonna, on the 14 year plan. When is he going to go away? He could potentially come back again, by the way. He's another Illinois guy. <laughs> uh, Jack Sanborn, not only has he been there forever, he's been making plays forever. Yeah. I mean, is he the best linebacker in the Big Ten? I think so, right? I mean, he's got to be in the team picture, right? Um, Leo Chennault. Strongest guy in the Big Ten, pound for pound. Okay. Uh, uh, Supercrawl just offered me up like his some lifting stats. Okay. Stuff, which and I've heard. You remember I've, any off the top of your head? I do not. Okay. It, it was very impressive. Things yeah. that that mere mortals should not be able to do. Nick Herbig. I mean, I, I don't know Noah Burks. Like, dude, they've got and and they and they're all upperclassmen too. Well, that's the other thing about this defense in general, which I talk about with Michigan, is almost the entire pro- projected starting lineup is upperclassmen. Now, Nick Herbig so, is so trust- a sophomore, but he's like a sophomore going on a junior for how right. much? Like, but you trust upperclassmen at a program like Wisconsin, and and to have a successful three-four defense, it takes a nose tackle and linebackers. Yeah. I mean, that's what people are going to point at. I don't think Keanu Benton is going to wind up on the first team all Big Ten team because of the nature of his role. With that being said, he is good enough to let these linebackers do what they do, and these linebackers are going to do it. I, I do. I don't. I don't. There. It's going to be miserable for any offense that plays versus Wisconsin to play versus these linebackers. I do have a question about the defensive line, but I think overall, I think they're going to be about like they were last year. I believe so, too. I mean, because for the most part, the defensive line that we're getting this year is the defensive line that we got last year, and they were fifth in total defense. Okay, now the DBs, I I really like, if if you're a Badger fan, you're probably going to think I'm besmirching the DBs. I'm just surprised how much love the Wisconsin DBs are getting. I'll let you jump in and comment. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, Fan Hicks is good. Susan Williams is good. Yeah. Really like Scott okay. Nelson, but I don't know that you got any, like, superstars back there. I, and maybe it's my Hawkeye pride flaring up, but, like, I'm just surprised how much these D-backs are getting love as compared to the Iowa D-backs. I think the Iowa D-backs are much better. I, I think these are closer to maybe the Michigan D-backs that we just yeah. broke down. Like, By the way, four seniors back yeah. there. So that is a big part of it, okay? But I just feel like, typically speaking, when you get Wisconsin, don't you get them over the top? And I still feel like we have that potential here with the secondary. Yeah. If you if they can't get home on a blitz, I just don't know if I think Fayon Hicks is that much of a blanket cover corner that you can't break loose of the guy. Again, not saying that they're not going to come up with interceptions and come up with plays, I just think that's that's potentially something that you took to look out for. Special teams, what do you think? Well, we've got uh, we've got uh, kicker returning Kyle Marsh and punter returning Andy Vunovich. So, yeah, 
they were okay last year. As far as, but it's not. They're not. They're not great. They're not at the you know top of the heap in the Big Ten. And I feel like if you're Wisconsin, you got to have a Vunovic on your team or something yeah. similar to that. True. So that's good. Uh, kick returner Devin Chandler had a touchdown in the bowl game. Showed a little bit of electricity there. So decent special teams. It's been a long time since I can remember Wisconsin special teams being a weak spot. They're not going to be. They bad. typically are pretty good. So now we break into the schedule. Starting out with Penn State right at the beginning of the year. I mean, I feel like if you woke me up on Tuesday and said who's going to win that game, I'd say Wisconsin. Woke me up the next day, I'd say Penn State. I do believe this is an evenly matched game. It is a 100% barometer game for both teams. That is a big way to start your year if you're Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, you losing that game doesn't ruin the season by any means, but it just sets a tone if you do win that game. So for me, the biggest game of the year is Penn State. You got you got Penn State. I do. The biggest game. Of the year. See, I understand the the reasoning behind that, but here's my thought process. I I think starting out zero and one is a further down the path of being a bad deal than starting out one Oh, it is for being a big deal. Okay. I don't know if that's explained very well, but so I, I can kind of get that to me. If things really are going to funnel down to one to two to three teams in the big tent West, I feel very confident that Iowa is going to be one of the top one, mm-hmm. two or three teams. I know it was an odd year, but Iowa was definitely the better football team last year when they played. To me, that's the biggest game of the year. There's a lot of potential there where it's happening in the year, you know, two-thirds of the way through the year. That's the biggest game of the year for me. Uh, One thing, another thing I'd like to point out, too, odd where their idle week is at, third week of the year, that does not set up well for for Wisconsin. How did Barry let that happen? I do not know. I guarantee Barry has let somebody know that he doesn't like that. And then coming off of the idle week, you play Notre Dame. This isn't a big game, a scary game, a curb stop. This is just a fun game. That'll be a fun it's game. A, it's an exhibition coming off an it idle is. week. You lose the game, eh, you win the game, great. Not even close to the conversation for biggest game for me. But also not not off. I don't know. It's it's it'll I'm, just be I, fun. It's, it's like, weird that a game is so interesting to me to watch. Yet it has no bearing on their season. No, it really doesn't. It's odd. I, I just find but it that's amazing. A, but that is a, a old school college football thing. It is. Like you just played for that game. Like it was just the pride of winning that game. Let's do it. So then after that, let's just kind of go really quickly through the schedule. Okay. Because it's, I don't know. I just find the schedule hodgepodgey. It's it's different as, because it just seems like it's combination of where their idle week happens, third week of the year, and then also They've got the non-conference games kind of in between. They start out with Penn State, Eastern Michigan, idle. Then they go non-conference Notre Dame, back into conference for two games in a row with Michigan and add Illinois, and then back into non-conference to play Army. I don't know if I want to play Army right at that time. Nobody wants to play Army ever. Does does that... Who schedules Army? Have you did you consider them or do you have them for scariest game? I do have them for scariest. You game. have them for scariest game. Yes. I weird. Like, how did Barry Alves did he get distracted by running the Big he, Ten? He must have. Yes. <laughs> that he allowed the idle week to happen in week three and army to get scheduled in between a Big Ten season? He it's it's like uh 
he turns around for a sip of Tang, and all of a sudden, there goes Neil Armstrong, <laughs> so, you know, so. onto the moon. What the that's heck happened? How, that's how that goes. So that could be a scary game. So that's a landmine game. Okay, call me crazy. All right, call me crazy. But Michigan, okay, they play Michigan. Yeah. We expect Michigan's defense to be better. We yeah. expect that to be a much better game. Then you go on the road to play Illinois, and who? Who's coaching the Illinois fighting yeah, Illini? I just don't. What, Kurt? You're. I'm tired of you always downplaying but my Illinois it... points. Beetle is gonna have them up for that game, and they're gonna know exactly what Beetle wants to do, dude. I'm just saying where it falls on the schedule, and the fact that you do have Army where it falls next... on the schedule. I'll give you that. Yeah, and because Beetle is the is coaching the fighting Illini. Jeez, man, I have more fun with your team than you do. You probably do at this point. All right. Um, curb stomp game, you could pick a lot of them here. I, I I, honestly think Rutgers because I think there's one of two things. Iowa beats Wisconsin and takes the frustration out on Rutgers. Or Wisconsin beats Iowa, and then they're just on a roll, and they curb stomp, curb stomp Rutgers. Considered a bunch. I don't like Michigan because um, of where it lands in the schedule right after Notre Dame. So I'm deciding between Purdue and Illinois. It's a toss-up here. And I think I'm going to go – I think – okay. Both on the road, so that's interesting. Both on the road, but they play Illinois, as you pointed out, after you have two really tough games there, Notre Dame and, well, potentially Michigan. I'm going with Purdue at okay. the Purdue Boilermakers. I think they run rough shot over the Boilermakers. Interesting to me because Michigan at Illinois, okay, so those are potentially two physical games, okay? Illinois plays has played a physical style of football for quite some time now. Then you play physical cut-blocking Army. Then you go on the road at Purdue. Yeah. So. That's a good point. I feel like it could be a scary game, too. Boy, that could be. It's a weird schedule, man. So that leads hmm. into the over-under, which the desert people got set at nine and a half. Listen, I'm going under. I, I I think nine and three or ten and two. I get where the nine and a half came. They split the difference there. But if you if you assume they they lose to Notre Dame, okay, let's okay. just assume that for a second. Okay. I'm not saying they're it's a hundred percent definite. After that, you have got to lose no more than two games to Penn State, Michigan, Iowa. Northwestern, and I'm going to throw in Nebraska and at Minnesota. There is definitely the potential to, of two to three losses in there on top of the Notre Dame game. Now, if you beat Notre Dame, you're looking pretty darn good right. to at least get to 10 at nine and three, but even nine and three doesn't get it done. I see what you're saying, but I just see so much returning from both sides, both sides of the ball here. It's Wisconsin. I'm going to go over. Okay. I got to go. I can't. I mean, I look, I'm looking at the games that could go either way. I just can't come up with four losses. I just can't. Okay. I mean, yeah. Uh, well, three is going to get them under. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Three losses. I, yeah. Well, hmm. see, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a good line. Gosh, that is a good line. Yeah. Oh, boy. Yeah. The, oh, uh, hmm. It's tough. That is tough. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm, so maybe I'm going to make it. Okay, hold on. <laughs> it's been a long week. We're tired. This is the last one, but. No, I'm still going to go over. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going 10 and 2. Yes, I'm going 10, 10 and 2. 10 and 2. I think yeah. it looks closer to a 9 and 3. 
Don't I, like I it either way. It. Don't, like, don't it either like it either way. way. But long story short, and I know we already talked about it, but like the potential from Iowa, Nebraska, Illinois, Northwestern, Minnesota fans to think maybe Wisconsin does not have the greatest running back in the history of the school. Again, it just seems to crack the door open for the rest of us. I mean, they just kept getting better, kept getting better, kept getting better, and it topped out at Jonathan Taylor. Can he even get better than Jonathan Taylor? Maybe that was the last deal that they made with the devil where they're like, maybe it, all right, last running back is going to be one of the best. He's never going to get hurt. After that, you, you're taking a break. Maybe it resets down to Brent Moss. <laughs> I tell you what. And Terrell Fletcher. I tell you what. Coming into or at the end of last year, if they didn't bring in uh, Che Lui, yep. and if Jalen Berger got hurt, they were down to Brent Moss at Sh- that point. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. That's the 2021 Wisconsin Badgers. This has been our podcast. I am Jeffrey the Greek. I'm Big Kurt. This has been the Eyes on Big Podcast. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon.